Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Human Resources Committee meeting from the AHS board. My name is Louisa Blue. I'm chair of the HR committee. And uh, just wanted to welcome folks. Was there any public comment? No, there is not. Can I go ahead and call roll? Yep. <clears throat> awesome. Uh, thank you. Trustee Blue. Here. Trustee Estine will be late and Trustee Jensen is absent today, but uh, so we do not have a quorum. Okay. So um, it's two for a quorum, correct, Rona? Correct. Okay. All right. So we will bypass the approval of the minutes until we get to quorum. And so instead, we'll go into uh, committee reports. And everybody know Lorna? Lorna's new, sort of new. <laughs> but, uh, Lorna is our interim um, HR director for AHS. So welcome, Lorna. Thank you. All right. So on the agenda, let me just take a look at the agenda here. Um, we wanted to go through the HR committee roles and responsibilities. So in the packet is the bylaws on uh, the HR charter, what we're responsible for. And what I wanted to point out with folks is in terms of the roles and responsibilities, that one is labor relations, just being abreast of what's going on uh, within labor relations. Um, James and Lorna usually give reports if we've settled on contracts or any other issues, but we pay attention to that. Uh, and then employee engagement, which is also a very important component. Um, and under that, we uh, have a plan. There's a plan on how we improve employee engagement within the system. Um, and we're supposed to follow the progress of that. And I know Lorna has been working uh, since she's been on on that in terms of a plan for employee engagement. And then also a concern for employee safety. Make sure that everybody feels safe and that they're healthy while they're at work. And then in terms of benefits, we approve uh, any benefits that has been discussed by some other committee that deals with that, right? Or if there's specific action that's needed from the um, HR committee. So Lorna, I'm gonna turn it over to you. Sure. Well, thank you for having me. Um, I, as everyone knows, I'm new to AHS and um, I'm very happy to be here. Um, the first item up for discussion is um, the employee uh, resource groups or employee affinity groups. And I had the pleasure of meeting with many members of the HETI committee um, about developing um, the employee affinity groups. Um, the committee recognizes that having employee affinity groups is a central part of our commitment to diversity and inclusion. Um, it goes beyond recruiting, retaining, and promoting diverse talent and establishing mutual accountability. AHSD, uh, diversity and, uh, and, excuse me, AHS's D&I strategy includes a network that serves to educate employees about diversity issues, promote a culture of inclusive leadership, encourage social collaboration and leadership and networking, um, engage caregivers to contribute to the AHS community. The HEDI subcommittee on workforce diversity will establish a steering committee 
for employee resource groups um, for this next fiscal year. Um, this steering committee will assist with the development of the affinity groups. Uh, the steering committee can assist the groups with the foundational support that includes setting up the group governance roles and responsibilities. Um, they plan to report back closer to the end of the fiscal year about their plans and what they have established as a steering committee. Does anybody have any questions? So I have a question. So uh, you said groups. So each health, equity, diversity, and inclusion, those are separate committees? There are subcommittees to the HETI committee. Okay. Um, what I'm what I'm talking, it's actually going to be um, the the workforce planning committee subcommittee of the HETI committee that's going to okay. be developing a steering committee to help with the oversight of developing the affinity groups. So they haven't even established um, like a name if they're going to call them, you know, employee resource groups or employee affinity groups. We they haven't come up with um, how they're going to devise this plan, but they know that. Um, Employees will need support, foundational support, and setting up a committee. There's a lot of um, foundational um, assistance that will be needed from, you know, setting up Zoom accounts, um, roles and responsibilities, mission statement, all of the things that goes into setting up a committee. This mm -hmm. steering committee is going to help establish that. Okay. And then the, does their report as they develop... Um, whatever the roles and responsibilities and what they're charged with, do they then come back to the HR committee for approval or it goes to the full board? I'm just trying to understand the process still. You know, I'll have to defer on that question. I do not know, but I can find out. I'm not okay. sure about what the practice or protocol is. So okay. I apologize. I, I'll have to find that out. All right. And this is something new if, or has this been around for a while? Well, the HETI committee had other names in prior years. It's my understanding that um, HS has always had a diversity and inclusion committee. It's had many iterations of names, but the HETI committee was established a few years ago to include healthcare equity, um, and they came up with the name HETI. And of course, um, you know, it's an interdisciplinary, interdisciplinary process. We have people from HR. Um, Tangerine Brigham is the executive sponsor. The CEO um, sits on that committee as um, a co-chair, I believe. Um, but we've never had affinity groups, from my understanding. There's never been affinity groups as part of the structure. Okay. Madam Chair, may I give some history? Yes, sure. please. Um, um, so uh, the HETI committee was probably developed in maybe 19 or 20, and it was co-chaired by uh, the previous CEO, as well as Board of Trustee member Maria Hernandez. So, uh, so uh, I, I very much look forward to kind of springboarding on the, on the established work they did. So um, you go, Lorna. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, well, thanks for that, that bit of history, um, uh, Trustee Piquet. It's pretty, it's pretty new then, a year in the making, right? All right, right. all right. Uh, does anybody else have any other questions or want to add anything to it? All right, so Lorna, we look forward to uh, what you all come up with. Will do. All right. Back. All right, thank you. 
All right, next on the agenda is oh, the dashboard on the exit interviews. Great, thank you. I do want to introduce Lynn Velasquez. She is the Director of Talent. And oh. um, she has been at, I'll let her speak for herself, but she's relatively new to AHS. And she's going to speak about the HR dashboard since this is all the metrics from her department. Well, welcome. So I'll turn, I guess we're turning it over to you. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome, Lynn. Uh, should we share the screen, Lorna? I'm not sure about the... Yeah. Can someone, um, Rona, or can yeah, somebody... You should be able to... Uh... You should be able to share the screen or do you want me to i can pull it up myself here and then have you would you mind i'm trying to see if i yeah absolutely no, it's here. i'm sorry okay so There we go. Would you like me to zoom in or is this good? Uh, could you do it a little bit bigger? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's good. That's good. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm Lynn Velasquez. I joined AHS uh, last September of 2020. Um, and I have oversight of the HRIS group, uh, recruitment, and also organizational learning. Uh, the first metric is time to fill. Uh, and in the third quarter, uh, we actually beat our goal of 51 days and we're able to fill uh, jobs uh, within uh, 16 point, actually reduction of 16.36 days, uh, 42.17 days. And so we've been really concentrating uh, to uh, focus on our sourcing for hard to fill positions and also make sure that our job postings have a good lead. Uh, in terms of trying to catch uh, a potential candidate's eye. So we've been looking at also the uh, job descriptions to make sure that they are relevant and uh, they are uh, in terms of requirements and preferred requirements uh, that uh, we post those to get the right candidates in for the organization. Uh, in addition, we've been working very closely with the managers to create strategies on the hard hard to fill positions, including posting on niche uh, job boards. On the uh, time to onboard employees, this did go up a little bit from the previous quarter. Um, I think that uh, in looking at this particular metric, uh, we worked with nursing leadership to increase the uh, onboarding and new orientation for nursing. And so instead of it being bi-weekly, we, we all agreed that it would be uh, weekly, which has, I think, helped uh, get the nurses back, well, the nurses hit the floor and working after their orientation. So this is working well, and we implemented that over about a month ago. On the workers' compensation, you'll see that these two metrics, we had a, a tick up, uh, and I believe that was due to the COVID exposure uh, in the work environment. And if we can go to the next slide. 
Here is our turnover metrics. Uh, and in the uh, first uh, column for the third quarter in the first box, uh, that uh, notes the um, overall uh, general metric for the organization. Uh, annualized, it was 15.53%. On a quarterly basis, 3.88. And we had a term count of 193. In the second box, that, note, that notes the uh, turnover rate for people who left the organization within the first year. Uh, annualized, that's 28%. And quarterly, that's 7 uh, seven uh, percent with a term count of 57 and the third box notes the uh, turnover rate for people who leave in the second year so as you see our benchmark mark source is 16.7 our target goal is 11.09 and we really are going to be looking at uh, the benchmark source to update it and also recommending that we uh, change our target goal, which the um, organization has not met over, I think, quite a few years from what I have learned. Hmm. In the second um, uh, quad uh, for nursing, uh, the annualized rate is 20%, uh, quarterly overall is 5.02, and the term count is 77. Uh, the first year is very high. Nurses leaving within the first year is at 43%. Uh, on a quarterly basis, is 10.75%, and the term count is 30. And in the second year, nurses are leaving at a rate of 22.38% annualized, and the quarterly rate is 5.59, almost 6%, with a term count of 8 uh, and so what we're trying to do is um, uh, reduce uh, the turnover rate. And so we implemented uh, the following measures. One is to send out a, a pulse survey via monkey survey uh, to all new hires within the 30, 60, and 90-day uh, time frame. We just started that particular um, uh, strategy, and we're starting to collect aggregate data. Um, the other uh, ones that are pending is management training. Uh, we have just relaunched our facilitative leadership training uh, beginning in May. Uh, in addition to that, we are going to be doing training on how to uh, interview and select uh, candidates so that we get the right people in, and also with great emphasis on retention strategies um, throughout all departments. And we're hoping also that with the um, development uh, of the turnover dashboard, which will drill down right to the department level, that that will give us a lot more insight uh, into that department and as to why people are leaving. So we're pretty excited about that and hopefully we'll have that uh, come to fruition by uh, June 1st or a little bit later. The top term reasons really have not changed uh, based on my analysis. It's resignations. Uh, a lot of folks have retired uh, in the past three quarters. And also uh, people are getting termed for failing uh, to uh, satisfactorily meet the probationary uh, standards set by their departments. And in addition to that, uh, for nursing, we are experiencing where we have uh, uh, the SAN employees that they're not able to meet 
uh, the requirements of the various MOUs uh, set by the union collective bargaining agreements. So that is the HR dashboard. Uh, do you have any questions for me? Hi, Lynn, this is Louisa, since I'm new on the HR committee. Uh -huh. well, um, what is What are the SAN guidelines? Is that just not meeting probationary? Uh, no, that there are certain okay. requirements for scheduling. So if I'm a SAN or per diem uh, uh -huh. nurse, I have to give my availability for each month. So it could be uh, four shifts per month, and I think two of which have to be on a, a weekend. Uh, some of the collective bargaining agreements may differ in that regard, but that's usually what is the boilerplate language set uh, within the CBAs. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Madam Chair? Yes. I have a question if it's acceptable. <laughs> yep, go ahead. And, uh, thank you for that report, Ms. Blasquez. And uh, so this question is to both you and Ms. Jones, and I know that you are, are relatively new to the organization. In past uh, discussions were made with HR as to the metrics, what belongs on the dashboard. And th th there, were, there were prior questions about employee satisfaction being on here, but that was really never put on the dashboard. And uh, we, we, we know that in a, in a, a happy uh, staff uh, will create the environment for success. You know, I give the example of the, yeah, I think we're all familiar with the 100 best places to work survey and, mm -hmm. you know, many of the top medical yes. centers, the Mayo, the Cleveland Clinic, yeah. Northwestern, they've been in the top 100. And so I guess my question is, can you help me with a vision as to how we get this place to be mm -hmm. one of the 100 best places to work? Where do we put that on our dashboard? Are there any thoughts about putting uh, employee satisfaction on this dashboard? Thank you. Well, for you know, I... I, I, that's a very good question, and um, I did ask, and I think Lorna also did, we did ask for the last employee engagement uh, survey and the results of that. Now, my understanding is we're not quite sure whether or not that was actually pushed back out to the employee body in terms of the results, because normally you take the survey, uh, it's aggregated, and then there is a strategy on making sure that the employees uh, get the results back. And then it's leadership's uh, responsibility to make sure that there's action items uh, at a overall organizational level. And then one or, one or two um, 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 areas that a department can work on. Um, I don't believe that that was done. I think that we should do another survey. I'm not quite sure of the timing of that. Uh, that doesn't fall within my area, uh, but we should push out another one, hopefully uh, this year, like in October. I think it's been a couple of years since the last one was done. And that should be an ongoing process to keep up with the action plan. That's the hardest part, I think, I find. Uh, at least in my experience, working with organizations is to really push out that action plan and stay on top of that. Okay. And then to do a, a mid, uh, a calibration, if you will, of another mini survey to kind of test that to see if you're on track. Well, thank you for that. I, I, I think many could argue uh, that uh, our employee base is a strategic uh, weapon in our arsenal, so managing them. I yes. Part. So I, I, I would humbly submit to our uh, committee chair to consider adding this to the HR 
um, uh, dashboard ultimately uh, as we move along on this need permit. Thank you. Right. Uh, and can I add one more thing? One of the things that I want to make an emphasis on in the Leadership uh, Academy is a module on retention and the importance of that and the various things you can do to build up your own reward and recognition uh, program within your department. Uh, because in looking at some of the uh, raw data, I think that we can do a better job in that regard to make sure that we have some touch points with our new employees and also the employees who are more tenured here. Thank you. Thank you. And then, um, Ms. Velasquez, this is Louisa again. So in terms of the exit interviews that are conducted, is that yeah. mandatory for everybody to go through that? Or it's if you want to, you can. If not, it's okay. Right. Uh, that is not mandatory. Uh, right now, we are working with the uh, vendor called Work Institute. Uh, and my understanding is that they would do telephonic uh, pushes, they would call people. And you know, we were only getting like a 50% participation rate, I believe. And so now they're going to upgrade it to a mobile app uh, to where uh, by which the uh, person who has left the organization can take a um, assessment, if you will, and then it would go uh, back electronically. So we're hoping to get better data on that. So your question that you asked if it was mandatory, it is not mandatory, it is voluntary. Okay. We should think about how we um, really encourage folks that are leaving to mm -hmm. fill that out. I don't know what that takes, but we should give that some thought so that we have a better assessment of why people um, are leaving. You know, we know there's retirement, mm -hmm. but I am curious about um, why people do leave, especially in areas that are hard to recruit for. Right. Yes. To get that. yes, I understand. I think for a large organization like this, it's difficult uh, to, at the time of termination, if it's voluntary, to actually bring them into an HR office and, and do that exit interview. I've done that with smaller organizations where that can work in a larger one. I think you really do need to have a vendor to push that out. So hopefully this new technology will render uh, more timely information uh, and the participation rate should be much higher. Okay. And then you mentioned in terms of the number of separations that we had a target goal, but to your knowledge, we've never met that target goal. Do you have any thoughts of what would be a good target um, goal? Yeah, I'm looking at that. I'm doing some research um, and I, we're going to be working with the advisory board uh, to get some good benchmark data. But I think 11.09 is not, um, it's not going to be achievable. And based on what I'm reading uh, in terms of my professional journals is that they are expecting uh, a tsunami of turnover for this year as more people get vaccinated and the, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the employment rate is going down except for people who are uh, just graduated from college. I think the national average is around 6% for people who graduated out of college this year and last year, it's about 20% uh, unemployment rate. So they are saying that they are expecting uh, people to start looking for jobs because there'll be more jobs on the market. Okay. 
All right. Any other questions? I don't see people. Uh, I don't have everybody's photos, pictures, video in front of me. Okay, who's that? I can't see. This is see. Jennifer Esteen. Sorry. For oh, party. Oh, that's okay. We now have a quorum. Very oh, good. good. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if this was covered in the presentation, but how do these separations fall along a racial equity line? Do we have those statistics? Uh, no, I do not. Is it possible to get those statistics? I could do some research on that and work with uh, my HRIS person to see if we can get those demographics for you. We do have a diversity dashboard of the current organization. Uh, and in fact, we are going to have it to where it goes down to the department level. Uh, and that should be uh, ready by, I think, June or July timeframe. So that's another good tool that we're going to use in terms of uh, expanding our um, uh, leaders' uh, awareness, uh, not only about the organization as a whole, but also their own department. And then we're going to be uh, launching our uh, implicit bias training. Great. I did. I think I did see Lorna shake her head that she could get those numbers about diversity. Well, we do have the ability to get like rough numbers and estimates from different departments, um, and we could match those up with the exit interviews. But we're only getting, um, you know, we only so from all the demographic information we probably have. I, I'm giving a guesstimate at this point. I'll have to get back to you about the exact number. Probably eighty percent because it's voluntary to answer those questions. Um, mm -hmm. So they would only be an estimate. I guess that's the disclaimer for that information because some people refuse to sign or to um, identify themselves. Right. And we have a small percentage that, that opt out altogether, but it's very small, like one, or, one to two percent. Right. Does the demographic data also include SOGI information for staff? SOGI? Not Sexual really orientation and gender identity? Uh, no, it does not at this time. Okay. I'm very curious about recruitment and retention, especially um, so many resignations. These are stark numbers um, and failing probation and how that falls along race lines. Right, right. It, these are very good questions. Is there more, um, Lynn, for you to present? Because I know there's other items related to what you just presented with the uh, work institute right i think lorna has a deck for that and i'll be glad okay. to interject uh, when when appropriate okay well thank you for your report and mm -hmm. uh the suggestions that members of the trustees uh put there something to think about okay, okay. uh lorna you up next on the right i'm going to work in concert system. with my uh with lynn um again these are exit interview um would you mind sharing my next presentation do you have that ahmad yeah if not okay if not i can do it uh, I, I, I think let's see <laughs> And it will be this one here, uh, Lorna. Exit okay. interviews.
There we go. Perfect. All right. Next slide, please. So um, the exit interview process started in 2016. As Lynn previously stated, it was the Work Institute. Um, about 50% of employees actually participate. The vendor will attempt to call the um, former employee six times. And as Lynn also stated, that we are putting in a new platform for, to allow employees to do the exit interview via their mobile phone. Um, so we're very excited about that. Next slide. So these are the top 18 departments with the highest numbers of turnover. Um, as you can see, the, the first column has the department. The first um, one is uh, Park Bridge Nursing. And you'll see that they had for July 2019 through June 30, 2020, they had a relatively high number of turnover. And so this is our subacute unit. Um, and for each of the different departments, you'll see that it has uh, the total termed employee head. I mean, the total termed employees, and then the second middle column is the total headcount, and that's how you come up with the actual turnover rate. Mm -hmm. The second part of this slide deck shows the top reasons terms. Now, I do give a caveat for this slide because this one is based on exit interview. Um, feedback from the former employee. We did have a relatively high number of uh, employees um, exercise retirement um, at, you know, during the pandemic, especially in the um, spring to early summertime, as you can see by the numbers. Um, and this gives all the major reasons um, for why people say they left the organization, including voluntary and involuntary reasons. Does anybody have any questions about this one? Yeah, so Lorna, I have a question, it's Louisa. So um, under environment where it says treatment of employees, does it get specific mm -hmm. on what kind of treatment there? Yeah. Okay. It, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to speak over no, you. No, that's okay. So they, they have um, the ability to also give feedback, like free-range feedback, and um, our current vendor will take down statements. And so um, I don't have a way of presenting all the feedback, but we do have data mm -hmm. that presents, like, the reasonings behind it. Um, somebody could say, you know, I didn't feel supported, whatever the reason being, but they can go and elaborate further about the reason. And then I'm looking at um, nursing inpatient C. Uh, that that has a high turnover rate. What kind of inpatient unit is that? Is that a med surge unit? You know, I I I, I apologize. I'm not totally um, sure what department that is, but I can okay. get back to you. Unless Lynn... Blue, uh, I think this is Mark Fratsky. I believe Thank that's you. one of the units out at John George psychiatric center thank you ah okay all right and then i see that the outpatient psychiatric services also has a high turnover rate any insight into that no i wasn't provided any insight into why they had that huge number of turnover but i will tell you there were certain areas within different hospitals that had a higher turnover um when COVID hit 
Um, I think uh-huh. other hospitals experienced similar situations where we had pockets of employees that didn't feel um, that they, you know, could work among the environment with COVID. Um, I, I experienced it at my former hospital system as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. Does anybody else have any other questions before Lorna moves on? Sarah, I, uh, I think Trustee Esteen and okay. I have one. Oh, please go ahead first. No, Trustee Esteen, you go first. <laughs> I'm just that officio here. You're real. <laughs> um, I'm curious about, because these numbers are kind of large and we haven't met the target goal, I'm curious about what we do with this data. How does this relate to, um, like, if there are statements given by people about the environment, why they quit, the other category, which is really doesn't say much, the workload stress category, all these um, things that could be, or even the one that says developmental growth, like, I don't really understand what these categories boil down to. How do you find trends? How do you understand when it's, you know, just because people leave, they're leaving, or is it because they maybe had issues with management? Um, I think something came up in our mm-hmm. meeting, and we were talking about, um, you know, we had a lot of public comment saying that there were some issues. Uh, so how do we how do we track trends to know why people are actually leaving and when they give their verbal explanations? Is it read? Who reads it? Where does it actually go? What do these processes look like? Uh, this is Lynn. Um, I think uh, once we have the turnover dashboard uh, created and ready to go, because this will drill down right to the department level, I think that is going to help uh, the supervisor or leader over that department truly really take right now with the way the data is aggregated it's going across the organization and it's really difficult to pinpoint what department's coming out of um, some of the raw data uh, might have uh, some commentary about a particular manager uh, and I think that with the new leadership uh, in place here at AHS uh, we're going to be taking a really closer look uh, at at the data and then probably creating some action plans or interventions uh, to intercede and reduce reduce that, that number that you're seeing on the screen here. Okay. I will also add that it will be no surprise that um, the areas where we see higher turn- turnover usually coincide with a trend that we've seen in employee and labor relations. So, yes, I mean, even when mm-hmm. during my time here, before in 2015 to 2017, um, usually when we see a high number of turnover, it coincides with areas where we have a lot of issues with labor relations or employee relations and the management team. Um, And of course we know what those areas are, but now that we have this service, we're able to further drill down and we continue to refine the tool so we can really identify those areas and go after common themes. So, I mean, you know, more data is giving us better information so that we can really go back and drill down on those issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that'll be important to do, uh, Lorna. And on this dashboard, 
Lynn, do you guys track uh, grievances from the unions? And I say that because when I ran a local union, mm -hmm. we used to track the grievances because yeah. then we could identify trends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. I used to do that when I had labor relations uh, in various organizations. Uh, and I think Lorna is now looking at that data in, in addition to uh, the interview data. So we can do a comparison contrast and identify trends that way also. Yeah, it was helpful for um, my local because then we would flag it mm -hmm. to the staff, our staff person who was assigned to that department, but also to the department manager. Something's going on here. Right, right. You know, yeah. so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so I, we are looking at that, and I think that would be helpful um, because in my practice, uh, when you have that kind of data in front of you and you have a lot of grievances generated from a department, let's say it's uh, from MedSurge and it's this particular uh, manager or supervisor, uh, then you start seeing the trends. That's when you can have those uh, what I call cup of coffee conversations with the manager to say, you know, this is a pattern I'm seeing, and I think we need to handle this a little differently. And it may require uh, some training there uh, or maybe coaching. Mm -hmm. Can I ask a follow-up question to that? Uh, do managers have progressive discipline in a similar way that employees do? Um, I can't speak to that, Lorna. Could you? Sure. So many of our managers are in the ACMEA unit, so they're represented and they do have um, progressive discipline as employees do. It is not strictly go, it doesn't strictly go in the same um, level uh, that we do with employees because they're held to a higher standard. Um, definitely there are directors and above that um, are at will. Um, and of course they um, do not have uh, the same luxury to the same level of um, progressive discipline, although we do try to give people um, feedback on performance expectations and hold them accountable. Um, so that I guess the answer is mixed, right? So we do have managers that do have that are represented and others that are not. But I think that overall, the philosophy, at least during my time here, has been that we do try to set performance expectations and give, you know, employees the opportunity to improve. Thank you. Madam Chair, may I uh, comment and question? <laughs> yes, please. Um, I don't see the gallery, so please okay. let me. So, let me. so I'm, I'm very appreciative to uh, Lorna and Lynn on this because this is, you know, they say good data helps illuminate the questions. And I guess this is a particularly, I mean, it might look like a boring graph, but it's, it's a very powerful piece of data here because it sits potentially at the crux of two issues. Uh, one quality, I, I think one could argue that perhaps the areas where there are greatest turnover are might might potentially be the areas where we have quality exposures. And second, uh, to, to we have a finance chair in the room to finance. There is a cost of turnover. I know from yes. the data with regard to physicians are estimated $400,000 to $600,000 mm -hmm. when you talk about lost time, training, orienting, and all that kind of stuff. So. I, I would see that I see our people always, and I, I think our our CEO and our CEO are in agreement with this. Our people are our essential asset, and uh, so I really appreciate uh, shining a light here. And then now, 
man, let's do something about this. Well, you know, and part of the turnover dashboard is going to have a component where uh, an ROI, you know, for let's say for a nurse that was here for six months and then they left within the first year. We're going to put a calculation uh, together to show that we're losing money by not helping training. train that person for whatever reason. So that's part of the education to all the managers and leaders throughout the organization that will be forthcoming. You know, there's a running joke, which actually isn't a joke at, at one of the hospitals in our system is that we bring on young nurses and train them and then they leave us for Kaiser and we invest yep. and then yep. we invest all this expensive training here uh, only to have them go somewhere else. So, man, we got opportunity here and uh, I, I have faith in our leadership to help guide us that way. Yeah. Uh, when I was a nurse, that was the same thing that happened mm -hmm. uh, at San Francisco General. We're a mm -hmm. great training ground, mm -hmm. and then we lose lose them to the private sector nurses. So anyway, but we need to not take a look not, at that. Not if we become our best place to work. <laughs> yeah, at San, at San Francisco General, we had to improve salaries and benefits, and that did it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Just saying. Mm -hmm. right. well, our benefits are pretty good. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're competitive, I believe. And that great new contract. Yeah. yeah, we're competitive. So, okay. So, uh, Lorna, keep going okay. unless there's other questions. All right. Next slide, please. So this is for fiscal year 2020, and it kind of shows you by job title um, where we're having a huge um, increase in um, exit. Um, the second box on the right-hand, upper right-hand corner, shows you by summary by length of service. So you're seeing the first uh, blue category with 91 is people that left during their probationary period. Um, so those could have been, you know, both self-selected people that left after 90 days or employees that were termed during the probationary period. Um, 90 days to one year is 139 and so on and so forth. You can see that we, we do lose a big chunk of people within the first three years, more than half. So mm -hmm. that is of concern and area of focus for HR. The last um, box on this page is summary by age group, just shows you just a little bit about the age groups of where we're having huge gaps of employees that exit the organization uh, with the largest number being that um, 201 for 30 to 39. Um, just to give you a little bit more information. As you can see, question? Oh, sure. No, I'll let no, you no. finish. No, 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 that's fine. I was just gonna say that you can see nursing is one of our key focus areas, those top three. Top four, actually. I'm wondering how the correlation works uh, as we talk about salary comparisons um, for just, I'll use nurses, for example, who have one to three years of experience along the salary scale, and then what it looks like when you move to another organization. Because I do know that as we do salary surveys and bargaining, we have seen comparisons that like years one through five, everything's even. And then when you hit year five to seven in another organization, 
there sometimes can be a 10 or 15% pay increase and that will lead to attrition for some folks. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know if there's a correlation with that in the community wide survey, but the, the age thing is scary because when you have a young workforce, the likelihood that people will stay and pay into the pension and all that is really good. Um, so if younger staff are leaving, um, that can make the organization top heavy. Correct. And just so you know, actually the compensation department is working on a salary survey. I believe um, there was a request put in that we look at um, an overall broader picture of um, how we do compensation surveys that we weren't looking um, just to, um, you know, other public entities like UCSF that we also encompassed some of our major competitors here in Alameda County. And so I'm, at, I'm anticipating those results to be out um, by next week. A question about that. I don't know how long that survey has been underway, but because of the nature of the Bay Area with so many people living and working in different places within maybe a 50 mile radius, I don't know if focusing on Alameda County alone is going to yield the best, you know, most comprehensive results. Um, just mm. throw that out there. I know that. You know, we, often. we did include um, Contra Costa mm -hmm. County. So just so you know, we included some surrounding counties where we think a majority of our employees work. But if you think we should do a broader range, it'd be, we can entertain that. That's fine. But we did Cocoa County and then Alameda County. I would absolutely include San Francisco where there's, you know, four or five pretty big hospitals that have different salary ranges. I mean, between Kaiser and CPMC. And then mm -hmm. it doesn't hurt to imagine Stanford because someone mm -hmm. who might work in PEDS or in, you know, ICU might also moonlight. Right. I, I, yeah, we might want to expand on that, Lorna, because if we look at the entire Bay Area, you have the South Bay uh, Peninsula, North Bay and East Bay. And so if you look at those demographics, then you can kind of see uh, the differences in in the pay ranges. Yeah, and if we lost people from a specific inpatient unit in psych, there's only so many psych units. Right. Uh, and that would definitely fall heavier in the South Bay. That's a good point. Definitely look at expanding that survey to the surrounding counties. Next slide. All right, so this is um, the real-time data from July 1, 2020 to March 31, 2020. And our numbers did go down from in the 700s to 568. And here again, you'll see on uh, the grid on the left-hand side, it says what department, including how many employees termed or left the organization. Um, and the total headcount, the middle column, represents how many people work in that department. And then the last column is their turnover rate. Um, on the right-hand side, we have top-term reasons based on exit interview responses. Um, it includes all departments in the system. Um, and you can see that all the different areas. Again, this is um, summary by job title, age, and length of service. Again, the top four are, are out of nursing, um, which includes um, uh, our nursing assistant, which is, of course, uh, the CNA role. Um, mm -hmm. The right-hand column shows summary by length of service again. 
again, our biggest chunk of people leaving is in the 90 to one year range. Um, and then second to that by just one is the one to three. So again, focus, same as last year, we're losing a majority of employees in the first three years. And then the last box is summary by age group again. Any questions? I'm noticing that almost 100% of the clinical education department uh, termed in this cycle that we're looking at now. I know that we've been talking about that for a while. Right, but we're, but we have um, really focused our recruitment efforts and the positions are being staffed. And I think we just posted the clinical education director recently. A remarkable turnaround. So we are making progress, hopefully. Any other questions? All right, next slide. Oh, that was the That's end. It. Okay. But I will um, take into consideration all the requests for additional data and we will work on that. Okay, well, thank you for that information. And I think um, the more we drill down to the departmental level on the dashboard, the better it'll be, we'll have better data. Because this is across the board right now, right? Right. Okay, all right. So um, is there anything else, Lorna? I think we went through everything already. Yeah, we did. All right, I need a motion to approve the minutes from January. So moved. Uh, roll, oh, roll call. It's just, it's just me and Jen. I'll second it too. <laughs> so it was moved by Trustee Astute and seconded by Trustee Blue. Um, and uh, Trustee Blue. Uh, aye. Trustee Steen. Aye. And Trustee Jensen is absent today, but the motion does pass. All right. So is there anything else? Madam Chair, may I make a, a comment? I, I, it's hard to shut me up sometimes, I apologize. Um, item B was uh, included in the packet was the Human Resource Committee Charter. And uh, yes. just as a reminder to all committee chairs, we are moving into our board retreat next Friday and the last agenda item will be board performance. So this includes revision of charters as necessary. So I give it to you, Madam Chair, to reimagine this charter if you need to. And uh, of course, you have a great partner in uh, Ms. Jones to talk about uh, what, if you have a different vision for the committee, and then we would discuss it uh, at next week. Okay. All right. So you guys can you guys can reimagine ourselves because we need to sort of update all our all our charters, our policies, our bylaws, and the like. All right. Thank you, ma'am. All right. Anything else? Wow, we're done. No way. So we actually have. Uh, we have some more. Yeah, we have one more item here. Item E. Okay. Oh, okay. How did I miss that? There's no report for it though. Let me see here. Oh, the retirement plans. That's right. Is there? Is this written? Ahmad, all I see is just you, retirement plans. 
Yeah. Can you hear me? Uh, yes. Yes. Okay. I uh, will just give a quick report. You can go ahead and next slide there, Ron. So uh, I'll just uh, run through uh, what happened at our last meeting, uh, review the investment plans performance, and if you have any questions, feel free to uh, stop me as I go along, or um, I will certainly take those up at the end as well, too. So next slide. So the committee uh, meets quarterly. Its last meeting was on um, February 18th, where we reviewed the investment performance and plan activity for the prior quarter, which ended December 30th of uh, 2021. Uh, Trustee Fox joined the committee uh, for his first meeting in uh, February and will continue on the committee um, so long as he's interested. Um, two action items uh, were covered. Uh, we updated our investment plan, <coughs> excuse me, our investment policy statements. So for each of the plans, uh, we have a policy statement which sets forth uh, the various structures by which uh, our plans evaluate performance. Uh, so the composition of the investments within particular plans, uh, the due diligence items that are reviewed, um, and then anything else that goes into what the committee should be looking at in terms of evaluating plan performance. So on an annual basis, those are reviewed by our investment advisors uh, as well as legal counsel. Um, and then they are approved. And this year, there were no major changes to any of the investment policy statements. Uh, the other action item is there was one fund, the Tuppleton Global Bond Fund, um, which was not performing according to standards. And after uh, three periods on the watch list, it was recommended for replacement by the investment advisors. So we reviewed uh, two potential replacements and ended up choosing the TGIM Global Total Return Fund uh, to replace the Templeton Global Bond Fund. So that was a unanimous vote of the committee. So hopefully that uh, fund will do well uh, and continue to contribute to the performance of the overall plan. A um, couple of things that we talked about in um, uh, non-action items. Um, the primary one was a discussion regarding environmental, social, and governance funds. Um, and uh, the ESG is a hot topic. And essentially what you're looking at here are investments which have as a primary purpose, um, or perhaps secondary purpose, the primary pur purpose, of course, uh, is to perform well. Uh, but the secondary focus is you know, on environmental, social, and governance issues. Um, and so these funds are intentional in terms of choosing to invest in companies which reflect, you know, a like-mindedness with regard to these issues. Um, and so a lot of funds, you know, basically have a broad investment portfolio, which may cover all kinds of different companies, including, you know, oil companies or, uh, you know, uh, tobacco companies or firearms manufacturers, the so-called, you know, sort of, you know, sin industries. Whereas ESG uh, funds, you know, focus on those companies which are intentional in their efforts to avoid investing in these things. So we don't currently have any funds that are specifically focused on ESG investing. And so the discussion was amongst the committee was whether or not we should include a fund uh, that might cover uh, one of these subjects um, and how we would actually go about uh, doing that. So. Uh, the direction was given uh, to our investment advisors to identify some potential funds uh, that fall into this category that might be added. And at the next meeting, uh, they will come back with recommendations on modifications to the fund lineup to include uh, an ESG investment option. 
um, I'll go to the investment plans performance in, May, uh, in a minute. Uh, and then our next meeting, of course, uh, next quarterly meeting is on May 20th, 2021. So any questions on any of that information? Okay, next slide, please. So our, our investment plans review at each meeting, we go through you know a couple of different items uh, regarding um, to the performance over the overall plans. And the report that we receive, you know, basically um, combines the performance of all of the plans, uh, although we do have individual reports for each of the various uh, plans. So overall, <clears throat> you know, the performance uh, over the last quarter uh, was good um, in the equities, uh, the improvements, uh, the gains, you know, range from 12.13% to 32.2%. And then with our fixed income investments, uh, all of those were in positive territory as well, uh, ranging from 0.06% uh, to 6.04%. Um, the plan continues to grow um, up about, uh, <coughs> excuse me, about $65 million, uh, <coughs> excuse me, $65 million uh, over the last quarter. Uh, so we currently have account balances as of December 30th of uh, a little over $314 million. Uh, significantly, the account balances for employees over 50, which is one of the target watch groups, uh, given their uh, the fact that they are closer to uh, you know potential retirement age, uh, account balances in that category uh, increased by 30 million dollars in the quarter over last year. Um, overall, the plans continue to perform well. Um, we have a peer group of uh, funds. Uh, or retirement plans uh, that we track uh, to compare our performance against. Um, and so a hypothetical investment in the AHS plan 10 years ago is grown to $32,000 in our plan. Uh, for the peer group, uh, the growth was $27,000. And essentially from the outset, you know, our plan has outperformed our peer group uh, comparators you know, over the last 10 years. Um, so that's very good performance, you know, over the long haul. Uh, with regard to the watch list, uh, one fund was removed from the watch list and we added three other uh, funds to the watch list. Um, and again, the watch list are funds that are not meeting one of the assigned metrics. Um, and there's about 15 different metrics that each fund is reviewed for each quarter. Um, of those metrics, five of them, uh, if the fund fails to meet them, uh, will automatically result in placement on the watch list. Uh, with regard to the other metrics, it's, you know, underachievement or underperformance over a period of time before they're placed on the watch list. And then any fund which has been on the watch list for uh, three consecutive periods is then evaluated for removal um, after determining, you know, what may have been extraordinary factors which caused it to be placed on the watch list in the first instance. Um, another big part of our review on a quarterly basis is the fees that are charged uh, under our plans. And uh, the fee review for this quarter demonstrated that, you know, we are continuing a, a consistent practice of um, fees on the low end, uh, the, uh, the benchmarks for our peer groups as well too, so no problem regarding fees. Can I ask a question? Uh, certainly. Regarding the percentages listed, which are excellent, I'd love to see double digit uh, growth. Um, is it possible to see, and the plan assets going from 260 million to 314 million, what is the difference between 
the amount that was paid in and the amount that is attributed to the growth of the investments because of the performance. Uh, I know you may not have that readily available. If you do, it's great, but I would love to know that going forward. Yes. So with regard to, uh, you know, this past year, just uh, give me one second here. So for um, the past year, the overall um, uh, contributions, so there's three elements here that you're talking about. You're talking about, you know, the net of contributions versus um, distributions from the plan, and then, you know, the remainder largely uh, consists of growth in the plan. So over the past year, um, just pulling this information up. So over the past year, our total contributions in the plan uh, were $44.6 million. Um, and our uh, distributions from the plan were $30.1 million. So that's a net increase of approximately $13 million um, from contributions to the plan. So the remainder of that growth uh, is and the remainder of that difference between the 260 and the 314 is uh, investment performance. So approximately $38 million or so was earned by the plan in the past quarter. That's great. My other question would be the percentage difference between uh, what's in the conservative side of the portfolio and what's in the more risky side of the portfolio. Are we looking at like a 60-40 split, 75-25 split? Yep, just one second. Um, with regard to the makeup of the plan, or the assets within the plan, just one second. <clears throat> so basically the, uh, the plan with regard to equities, uh, the total amount of equities in the plan is 13, 16, 27. Uh, so it's about 60% equities. Um, and about 35% is, or excuse me, um, 35% is in fixed income and then a small percentage in a stable value or money market uh, participation uh, of the fund. Okay. Last question. Um, mm -hmm. I, we were just looking at age and turnovers. I'm curious about the percentages of employees that are over 50 and employees and maybe eligible for retirement as a secondary factor, but employees over 50, under 50, you know, like what is the ratio of folks that are paying into this according to their age? Yes, um, very good question. So in the, uh, let me see, well, let me give you some numbers because I think that sort of best describes um, where the distribution is. So uh, we essentially track by uh, 10 years, 10 year increments, you know, from age 25 up to age 64, and then for those 65 and over. So um, the largest category of investment in the plan is by employees who are in the 35 to 65 plus range. So in the 35 to 44 year group, uh, $60 million, 45 to 54, 90 million, 55 to 64, uh, 90 million, and 65 plus 56 million. And then uh, on the less than 25, uh, 88,000, and in the seven, uh, 25 to 34, 
uh, a little over 17 million. So there's a broad you know, distribution, but most of it's centering you know, in those folks who are essentially preparing for retirement or on the cusp of retirement. So those are the amounts of the balances, but how does that break down into number of employees on those sides uh, of the portfolios? Because, you know, sometimes you work 20 years, you're older, you make more money, so you're putting in more. But that doesn't tell me the concentration of, of employees on either side. You know, like, what is the risk yeah. of people retiring tomorrow versus people's longevity contributing? Yeah, I'm not sure that I actually have the individual numbers here right handy. Um, now, I, I would have to get the breakdown of the actual numbers of employees who are in those various groups for you. I just don't have that handy here. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Michael. Any other okay, questions? Uh, one more slide. Okay. So in terms of uh, participant activity, there was a net increase of uh, 360 participants um, up to a total of uh, 37, a little over 3,700 at this point. Um, and the participation rate, meaning the number of employees who participate in the plan versus the number of employees who are eligible to participate uh, remain pretty much stable. Um, it is, uh, you know, basically runs in the 25 to 35%, you know, range at the lower age group and then up to 70% in the higher age groups. So our average uh, participant balances increase uh, approximately 80,000, or excuse me, $8,000 um, year over year up to an average uh, participant balance of $84,163. Uh, so it basically took everybody in the plan and just averaged out all of their balances. This is the number it comes up to. It's kind of significant, you know, uh, when we look at this data, the, um, we are typically provided a comparison to other prudential uh, clients. And interestingly, AHS average balances exceed the prudential averages across, you know, virtually all of the age group categories. Um, when you look at the median balance, which basically is the midpoint of most people within a particular age group, uh, the prudential averages you know, are a little bit higher than AHS across the board. Um, our contributions into the plan increased by $5 million uh, over the prior year, meaning that $5 million more was contributed uh, this quarter uh, than the same quarter last year. So about $45 million was uh, 44 $45 million was uh, contributed overall um, in uh, 2020, and in 2019, that number was about $39 million. Uh, loan initiations uh, decreased. Uh, that was a good thing uh, by about 18.6%, uh, down from about 240 in the uh, prior period to 202 in this past period. Um, however, our average loan balance increased slightly by about $800 to an average loan balance of about $10,249. And then looking at this information as compared to uh, Prudential's other clients, basically it's about the same, uh, maybe slightly uh, lower the average for uh, other Prudential uh, clients, about 13.7% or so. Um, of the uh, in, of the participants in other credential plans have loans about 12.8 percent for AHS. So, so that's just a snapshot of the uh, participant activity. Um, and what I can do is I can uh, provide all the reports to you, which have, of course, um, all three or four hundred pages of much more data on it. 
you know, if you'd like to, to drill down into any of this. So uh, that's all I had, unless there's any other questions. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. Okay. I think we're done. Motion to adjourn. <laughs> okay. Good night.